Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. This morning, we are going to conclude our study um, in our look at the word Redeemer. We started at the very beginning in Genesis, and we looked at why we needed a Redeemer to begin with, what had gone wrong from the very start of this whole thing. And we looked at kind of how Jesus stepped us through this process about how He is our Redeemer. He is the only source uh, and the our reactions. We talked about, now we know the problem. Now we know the solution and the answer. Now what's expected of us? What is our response to what God is doing and calling us to do in our lives? We looked at that um, very much so throughout this study from a vertical relationship standpoint, about how important our relationship with God is in um, not only our life now, but for our eternity with Him in heaven in the future. Over these past few weeks, though, we have taken a look at more of the horizontal relationships, and we've emphasized over and over again how important it is for us to have our vertical relationship right so that our horizontal relationships can mirror that. And what we've looked at is we've looked at things like forgiveness. We've looked at things like reconciliation. And we even talked about joy in our own life last week and how we are really challenged in this concept of horizontal relationships and that showing forth our relationship with God. So the past few weeks in the focus on the horizontal relationships have been mainly focused on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only within our church family, but also the capital C church overall in our brothers and sisters and our relationships and how we handle ourselves in our dealings with them. Today, as we kind of wrap this up and hopefully put a pretty little bow on this study that we've done over the past couple months, I want us to look at making great God's name. Or, if I'm going to make it a little bit more simple than that, our witness to others. Beyond our brothers and sisters, what is our life message? What are we showing forth, not only in the way that we speak, not only in the way that we show up to church, not only in the way that we give to church, but what is our life message? What is it that we are conveying with our life to those around us, both believers and unbelievers? People who know Jesus Christ, but also the people who don't know Jesus Christ. And that's kind of where I want us to settle today is, how is our life showing forth the message of the good news of Jesus Christ? How are we impacting a lost and dying world all around us with our message that the life that, the life that we are living carries? So this morning, I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to go back for just a few moments and look at Matthew chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading 
just one verse out of Matthew chapter 6, and that's going to be Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. When Jesus says, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for another day that you have given us. Thank you for another opportunity to talk about your word, to sing praises to you, to glorify you, God, uh, in, in song, in our lives. And God, as we move into this time of uh, the message, God, I pray that you be pleased uh, with the reading of your word, with the examination of your word, and with me as I divide your word and present it this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit speak through me. I pray that I give voice to what you would have me to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the beginning statement of one of the most famous passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. This is right smack dab in the middle of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, period. Bar none, <laughs> debate closed. But we see Jesus in response to his disciples asking them how, asking him how they should pray. Jesus makes this statement, and I, I think it's an interesting, interesting thing. This is not a message on prayer, but I do want to take just a few moments and, and kind of examine the roots of this question that they're asking because they ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. I, I think that's an interesting thing because they've been with Jesus for a while now, and they've seen him live his life. They've They've been with him, they've seen his dedication, they've seen his righteousness and, and God playing out in his life. But they take this moment, they say, teach us how to pray. And this is a really legitimate question that I don't know if we really give enough weight to or not, because most likely they really would not have known how to pray at this time, because from a Pharisee standpoint and from the scribes and, and, and from the Sadducees and, and the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, mostly prayer had become something that was ceremonial. It was something that was very traditional. It was something that was very repetitive. It was something that they did to try to impress someone or to be seen or be noticed for some by someone. So prayer really wasn't prayer as we see the New Testament go on and talk about at this time. It wasn't that moment of connection with God. It wasn't going before the King of Kings, the Creator of everything, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. It wasn't that. It wasn't that audience of one moment of reverence to where everything needs to stop, where everything needs to be put onto the back burner and us focus completely and totally on our moment or times of conversation with God. It was very ceremonial, very informal, and, and just very clinical and it was done out of the wrong motive. So they ask him, okay, Jesus, maybe we've seen it done this way our whole life, but what we're seeing in you is something completely different from what we've ever really experienced before. So teach us how to pray. And this is a model prayer. You'll, you'll see it, that, that this was the model prayer. And this is something that I don't want to discourage you from saying this, reciting this prayer every day. I do it. Every day I recite the Lord's Prayer verbatim. Uh, but Jesus, that wasn't the limitation on it. There's nothing wrong with that, but Jesus didn't say, hey, this is the only prayer that you need to say. You need to say it just like this, and boom, you're going to be golden. You're going to be good. Just make sure you do it like this. He's giving us a blueprint 
of how to pray. And the first thing that he teaches us is he teaches us to recognize the source. Because the Lord's Prayer, as we, if you continue reading on in Matthew chapter 6, and if you go to Luke, and Luke's account of this prayer also, you will see that the, the prayer begins with God. It ends with God, bringing glory and exaltation to His name. It begins that way. And then kind of in the middle there, we see a little bit of the petition moments, but still, even in our moments of petition, Jesus is telling to recognize that it's God that it comes from. So we see him starting with our Father in heaven. So right off the bat, Jesus recognizes and instructs us to recognize that Jesus, uh, that God is the source. The Father is the source of all things. So again, it's that importance of the vertical relationship in our lives, that there is nothing, nothing even close to being more important in your life than your relationship with God. That is the singular most important thing in your life is your relationship with God. So Jesus instructs us. He starts with our Father who art in heaven. He's exalted above us. He's God. We're not. So we're going to recognize that source to begin with. And then he uses an interesting word. He uses this word, hallowed. And I think that sometimes especially when we are incredibly familiar with this passage of Scripture, and we have been for a while, this word just kind of rolls off of our tongue, almost like an old English type word, and we do not, um, we, we may relegate it a little bit to, a, a little too low of a place, because it not only means to glorify God's name, but it means to exalt it, to reverence Him, to acknowledge His holiness, and to to kind of lessen ourselves, to make more of Him and make less of us. And we look and we immediately, when we start thinking about God's name, one of the things that immediately comes to our mind, at least mine, is the Ten Commandments. You know, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And, and we hopefully we know that that is more than just um, maybe a, a cultural curse word or, or using God's name to curse something or someone or just uh, out of carelessness. Uh, it goes much deeper than that. So what would it mean for us to hallow God's name? To bring glory to God, to revere God the way that He really deserves to be glorified, to be exalted, to be revered, to be lifted up, and to be magnified on the earth. And Psalm 9.10 says, those who know your name put their trust in you. So it's more than just lip service. It's more than just words of our mouth. Now, make no mistake, it does include that. So when he's talking about don't take my name in vain, and when we're talking about hallowing God's name, we are talking about the words that come from our mouth. We're talking about the reverence that we have as we speak of God, to God, about God. But it goes so much deeper than that. And according to Psalms here, it says that those who know your name or those who know you, what do we do? We put our trust in him. So part of our witness is not only what we say. Now, again, sharing your faith, 
being a faithful witness and a bearer of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with your words and in your conversation is indeed a really big deal. I don't want to make light of that, but I want us to understand that that's just part of the story of our witness. That is just part of us sharing and impacting a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ through our witness. Just part of that is our words. But it's also a trust factor. How's your trust in God looking today? In the midst of 2020, in the midst of all the unknowns, in the midst of all the uncertainty, in in the midst of all the unprecedented times that we find ourselves living in, how is your trust level showing in God? Now, I'm not talking about how is your conversations about how you trust God or how you're giving lip service to God is still in control. I'm talking about how is your trust level playing out on a day-in, day-out basis without your words? How are other people seeing you trusting in God or the lack thereof in your life? How is your panic level? Uh, And again, we've all been impacted, so I'm not making light of worry, anxiety, uh, even concern about what's going on. I'm not dismissing that at all. But what I am challenging you is, how are others seeing your trust level in God this morning? Can they look at you And even though they know you're concerned, even though they know that you may be worried on some level, they can still look and say, well, they're they're trusting in the Lord. Because that's what Psalm instructs, that if we truly hallow His name, if we know His name, then we're going to trust in Him. So how do we do that? How do we hallow His name, not only with our words, but more importantly, how do we practically hallow God's name in the way that we live our lives? I think we can turn back just one chapter and we can find the answers for this. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now, just like every message that we have here on a Sunday morning, we have a foundational text. Okay, So sometimes it's a long passage, sometimes it's a short passage, but every message that comes from FCC Grayson has a foundational text. And then we take that foundational text and hopefully, prayerfully, we divide that rightly and we inspire, we encourage, we comfort, we convict, we can challenge. Uh, Any and all of those things can come from the foundational text, the base text of our message. There's a passage here that we find in Matthew chapter 5. And they're called the Beatitudes. And I want to just present this concept to you that the Beatitudes are actually Jesus' foundational text for his Sermon on the Mount. Because I believe that once he presents the Beatitudes, the summation of the message, that the rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 are Jesus unpacking and articulating each one of these concepts that we find in the Beatitudes. So I believe that the Beatitudes, which we're going to read here in just a moment, are a practical look at how you and I can hallow God's name, how we can make His name great in our lives, and how we can witness to those around us, really, without even having to say a word most of the time. So let's look at this passage, starting with Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's take a look at these, and, and let's kind of break them down. Now listen, we are really going to be taking um, a, a very high view of all of these passages this morning. We're going to be uh, at doing the Reader's Digest version of each one of these, so know that there is so much more in-depth that we could go, uh, and hopefully at some point we, we will get to do that. But I kind of want to give us the, the 30,000-foot version of the Beatitudes and how they help us to hallow his name this morning. The first thing to do is really to understand the word blessed. Now, from the Greek word that, that's translated blessed here can also be translated happy. Why are we happy? If we go beyond all of these things that are talked about in the Beatitudes, which we'll detail here in just a moment, why are we happy? Why are we blessed? Well, simply put, we are happy and we're blessed because God has chosen us and we've responded to his call. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God looked down on the earth and said, I have chosen you. I want you. My son died for you. Therefore, if nothing else ever happens in our life that we consider to be good, then we can be happy. We can be blessed by knowing that God has chosen us in all of his sovereignty, in all of his goodness, in all of his love and his mercy. He looked down upon me, he looked down upon you, and he said, I have chosen you. And my friends, there is no greater blessing in the world. There's no greater source of happiness. There's no greater source of joy. There's no greater source of fulfillment this morning than to know that God looks upon us. He says, that one's mine. So really, there is an encapsulative term that we could use for blessed, for happy. And I'm going to submit to you that the word could be, could be used of congratulations. Congratulations, because really, if we've been chosen by God, if God has looked and said, you, if, God, if, we have, if we have responded to that calling, if the, if the Holy Spirit has convicted us and we've responded to that calling that God places on our heart, then congratulations, because that's the highest honor. That's the best thing that could ever happen to you. So I'm going to kind of read these just as bullet points really quickly with substituting the word blessed or the word happy here with the word congratulations, and then we're going to quickly look at what each one of these means. So let's look at it. Congratulations if you are poor in spirit. Congratulations if you mourn. Congratulations if you are meek. Congratulations to those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. Congratulations if you are merciful. Congratulations if you are pure in heart. Congratulations if you are a peacemaker. Congratulations if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Congratulations if you are reviled and persecuted and all other kinds of evil are leveled against you falsely. Congratulations. Now, maybe, maybe you thought, yeah, I'm not really for sure if some of those are really fitting for the word congratulations. Listen, I understand. But, oftentimes, God's definition of what's good and what's congratulatory and what we should celebrate is far different than what our definition of those things are. So let's look at these really quickly this morning. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Congratulations or blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit. Well, poor in spirit simply means that we recognize that without Jesus Christ in our life, we are spiritually broke and we are spiritually busted. That there is no hope for us in our sin and our sinful nature and our shortcomings and our flaws and our failures and our fallibilities. There is no hope for us. We are spiritually bankrupt apart from Jesus Christ. But when we come to that place and we recognize that and we turn to Him as the source, again, as the prayer started in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, that's the source, that's the place we turn to. Congratulations if you've gotten to this point. Why? Because you've realized the truth that is the key to everything. That He is the only way to, to remedy to reconcile, to build that chasm, of, of build that bridge between the relationship. Congratulations if you're poor in spirit and you recognize your state without Jesus. Congratulations if you are meek. Now this, this indicates a level of humility. And, and I don't know if you are truly poor in spirit. And all, by the way, all of the Beatitudes build on themselves. It's like climbing a ladder. You can't get to the second one without the first one. I don't know if we can truly be meek if we're not poor in spirit. Because meek is a, a level of humility. It's this understanding. And I don't know how you cannot be humbled by realizing that you're spiritually bankrupt. That you're busted, you're broken without Jesus Christ. That should naturally lead us into a state of humility at the foot of the cross, at at the foot of, of the throne of God Almighty. Because being broke, busted, spiritually bankrupt will lead us into a state of meekness. So congratulations if you are meek. Next, congratulations to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Again, we're spiritually bankrupt. We're humbled by that. So we know that there is nothing filling in our flesh. There's nothing filling in the way that we used to do things. There's nothing truly rewarding from an eternal perspective in particular without Jesus Christ, without His righteousness. So therefore, we're spiritually bankrupt. We recognize that. We are humbled at the foot of the cross. We are there, and now we know that we have to hunger and thirst after His righteousness because everything else is going to fall woefully short. Congratulations if you are merciful. You see, what mercy does, being merciful is a realization that I am no better than anyone else. 
because I was bankrupt, I was broken, I was busted, I'm a sinful person. I humbled myself at Jesus, and now I'm looking at only Him to fulfill me. But then we start looking at others also, and we begin to see that not only am I no better than them, but I see them through the same lens that I begin to see myself. And that causes mercy because we're seeing them through the eyes of Jesus Christ. When we look and we say, I'm no better than them because I am, was, still fight this nature of sin trying to control me. And that's what they're dealing with too. So we show mercy instead of judgment. We show grace in, instead of uh, harsh words. We share love instead of trying to distance ourselves and separate ourselves because we think that we're better than them. Mercy. We see them through the eyes of the Savior because we realize that we're all in the same spiritual state without Jesus Christ, and that is completely bankrupt without Him. So congratulations if you're pure in heart. You can read all throughout Scripture, and you can see that especially in the New Testament with Jesus' message, Jesus looks so far beyond what you can see on the external. The law in the Old Testament was given to try to see, to try to give man and mankind this, this standard of living externally that they still could not live up to. But Jesus came and He looks at the heart of man. He doesn't look at the externals because the reality is, is if you've got a, a dark heart, if you've got a bad heart, then you can only mask that for so long externally. You can only get by with, with masking that for so long. And at some point, the dark, wicked heart is going to show itself. But conversely, on the other side of that coin, if you have a pure heart then the external will catch up to that. So congratulations if you're pure in heart because you're going after the proper things. Congratulations if you're a peacemaker. Not just a peacekeeper, a peacemaker, but that means that the story of God is living through your life. And here's why I say that. The very story of God in this book is that He came, Jesus came, He sent His Son to make peace between us and Him. And now that He's given us the message of reconciliation and the work of shedding, or spreading His gospel and, and going into the highways and the hedges and the byways and bringing them in, that work is to help Him make peace with others and them to make peace with Him. So, Congratulations if you're a peacemaker. Congratulations for those uh, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. My friends, if Jesus, if Jesus faced persecution because of righteousness, why on earth would we ever think that we would escape that? Congratulations if you're persecuted for righteousness in Jesus' name. Congratulations if you're reviled and they persecute you and they do all kinds of evil things against you. Again, this is not a, 
a downer type of message, but more of a realistic one that we need to understand what the Bible is saying here. Again, I said it last week. I'll make this statement again. Jesus did not come so that you could live your best life right now. Jesus came so that you could have the promise of an eternity in heaven with him. Yes, he does things for us now. Yes, he blesses us. Yes, he gives us things that we never deserve. Yes, our lives are made better because of Jesus Christ. Yes, we live life to the full, but understand his goal is to not give you your best life. His goal is to reconcile you to the King of kings and the Lord of lords so that we can be in heaven with him for an eternity. And here's the, here's the promise in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That's where our reward is. Again, it's not here. We'll, we'll definitely be blessed here. We'll definitely have favor shown to us that is totally undeserved, no doubt. But our reward is in heaven. What is your life message? As I kind of bring this to a close and wrap this message up, what is your life message this morning? What is it that those around you are seeing, not just hearing, but seeing from your life? Do they see someone who's poor in spirit? Do they see someone who is um, who is meek? Do they see someone who mourns? Do they see someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness? Do they see people trying to make peace from an eternal standpoint with others? Do they see uh, you, you going after Jesus Christ? Do they see you hallowing God's name? Do they see you making much of God's name in your daily life? John Chapter 17, verse 6. This is Jesus praying to God. I have manifested your name to people whom you gave me out of the world. I have manifested your name. It's not just talking about your name. It's actually showing forth the name of God. Hallowing, glorifying exalting and lifting high the name of God Almighty. How are we doing with that this morning? How are you showing forth? How are you hallowing? How are you glorifying God this morning? And if you don't like the answer you get to that, which I did not, I still do not, then I encourage you, take some time and ask God to show you areas in your life where you're falling short of hallowing His name to others. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I'm humbled by this word today. I, uh, I hope that those who have watched this, heard this, are convicted as I am right now and, and are humbled as well. And I pray that you do the work in our hearts, do the work in our lives that is necessary for us to reach a lost and dying world the way that you have purposed us, the way that you have called us, and the way that you have commanded us to reach them. 
Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit stir in every believer's heart, in all of my brothers and sisters right now, and that you would reveal to us areas where we're falling short of hallowing your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 